It is our uh, desire for every single one of us to get connected uh, here at what God is doing at Calvary Chapel and to get in community with one another. And my goodness, I am watching our youth leave. Praise the Lord. Give our youth a hand. I mean, that is awesome, awesome to see. Uh, so many. Well, my name is David Palmazano. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Calvary, and I am uh, excited and privileged this morning to share with you from God's Word and uh, to have the unique opportunity to bring the book of Ephesians uh, to a close in our series, Sit, Walk, Stand to a Close. Have you all enjoyed our series through the book of Ephesians? Yeah, amen. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been a challenge for me, too. Um, and as we get started, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll pick up there in just a moment. But while you're turning there, who in here likes to travel? Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew there would be some encouragement at the 11 a.m. service. Uh, 9 a.m., just, I just want to go, yeah, they're homebodies. So, uh, so my family and I, we love to travel, and we consider traveling to pretty much be anything that is staying the night somewhere other than our home. And if you're like me, when you go on one of those travel websites and you are looking for a hotel or whatnot, you immediately filter or you sort um, by price least to greatest. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those, it's going to be one of the top three. <laughs> the cheapest, the next cheapest, and the third cheapest. And, and if you're one of those hotel price shoppers, generally speaking, you understand you are taking an implied risk. And that risk is what the advertisement looks like and the experience you're going to have might be different. Amen, that is true. Yeah, you're like, are we, are we at the hotel or the county jail? It's true. <laughs> I say that to say this. As we bring the book of Ephesians to a close, we understand that Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians, was in a prison in Rome. But you see, five years prior, that was not Paul's circumstance. Five years prior to the writing of Ephesians, Paul was in the city of Corinth. And when he was in the city of Corinth, track with me here, he wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, I don't know what Paul was envisioning that trip to Rome to be like. But I doubt he envisioned arriving in Rome on a prison ship, being in house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. Nonetheless, the purposes of God prevailed despite Paul's circumstance. There are times and there are seasons and there are circumstances in your life which will not be what you expect. It will be that cheap hotel. But the purposes of God, they will prevail. Job says, no plan of the Lord can be thwarted. And if we would believe that, internalize that, have faith in the truth of God's word, no matter the circumstance in life that we find ourselves in, no matter the prison we would find ourselves in, we can stand victorious 
in Christ. This morning, from God's Word, we're going to learn three provisions that God gives every single one of his people. Life is a battlefield. God has given you and I everything we need to be victorious in the battle of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, as we prepare now to study your word, Lord, would you quiet our hearts? Would you still our minds from distraction? And in these moments, Lord, we want to give you our full attention. So God, open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, I pray that you would humble me, and I pray for your Holy Spirit in me this morning, Lord, that it would be your words, not man's words. So God, do a work in my life, do a work in our lives, all here online, Lord, that we would understand that we are fighting this battle not for victory, but from a place of victory. So help us to stand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles. Turn with me if you would. We're going to pick up here in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to backtrack a little bit, a little bit of what Pastor Dave, uh, he covered last week. We're going to re reread to set the stage for this week. So picking up in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, for our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to what? To stand. Paul makes, he mentions no words about it. You and I are in a battle. And this battle that is being fought is taking place where? It's taking place in the spiritual realm. And Paul says that this battle is going to intensify when the day of evil comes. Notice he uses that word when, not if. When the day of evil comes, the battle will be at your doorstep. The day of evil, simply put, is the day when Satan puts his sights on you. It's the day when Satan says, today is your day for me to prowl on you like a roaring lion. It is a day when you're going to find yourself in a circumstance that you're not sure how you got there. Fighting a battle, you're not sure how to win. Paul says that day will be called an evil day. And he says it will come to every believer. But there's hope in that. Because at the end of that, Paul says we can still stand firm in victory. Now, remember Paul's circumstance, right? He is in Rome, in a prison, chained to a Roman soldier. And yet he has this hope. If anyone had reason to complain about the circumstances of life, friend, it was Paul. But does Paul complain? He doesn't complain. Rather, he recognizes that his physical circumstance 
is a manifestation of the spiritual battle. He says, because what is happening in the unseen, I am in chains in what is seen. But God's purposes will what? They'll still prevail. And because Paul knew that truth, he could confidently say, I have victory. I will stand firm. Friend, no matter what you're going through, you can stand firm in Christ. You can have victory. So what do we mean by victory? Victory is simply this. It is, it is both your present and your future spiritual standing because of what Jesus has done. It is who you are today, who God is shaping you, molding you, sanctifying you to be, and where you will ultimately end up for eternity. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I stand in victory today. No weapon formed against you shall prevail. Paul says, victory is rooted in our daily identification with Jesus. Because he lives, no matter the pressure that is around you, no matter the fiery darts of the enemy coming at you, because Jesus lives, you too will also live. That is the victory Paul is wanting us to understand and take hold of. That is the victory we have in Jesus today. Three provisions that God has given every believer. If you're taking notes, the title is simply this, Provision for the Battle. As we read with me as we cover the, uh, the first provision that God gives us, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The first provision that God gives is simply this. God provides divine equipment to help us stand in victory. He provides divine equipment. Now, maybe your subheading in your Bible, it might say the armor of God. Uh, this morning, with your, we're going to call it divine equipment, simply noting that, it, one, it comes from God, it is divine, and two, not everything listed is for defense. Some of it is for offense. So divine equipment, God has provided it, and as Paul is chained to this Roman soldier 24 hours a day, Paul got well acquainted with the equipment that Rome provided their soldiers, and, and he lists six specific pieces of equipment that Rome provided. Rome provided their soldiers with a belt, keep their pants up, uh, a breastplate, that is, that is being metal armor. It covered their, their chest and torso as well as it would have covered their back. Provided them with shoes, provided them with a shield, with a helmet, and with a sword. And a fully equipped Roman soldier would have looked something like this up on the screen, give you an illustration. Now, <laughs> listen, it, it, I'm redefining a dad bod, all right? We got a Roman body here. Um, our graphics department had a little fun, but, but in all seriousness, we, we see the helmet, we see the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, we see the belt, the sword, and 
Trust me, I am wearing shoes. But this is the armor the Rome would have provided their soldiers. The Roman soldier was incomplete without donning all of the equipment. Christian, you are incomplete unless you don all of the equipment that God has given you. We are not ready to face the daily battles apart from wearing the divine equipment that God has already provided. We don't want to go to battle unprepared. He has given you everything you need. We can take that picture down. It's great. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The first piece that he provides, that God provides us, is the belt of truth. Now, there are three primary influences in your life every day that are going to lie to you, that are going to be in opposition to truth. The first one is the world, the world system. You see it in the advertisements, you see it in the media, you see it in the culture. Opposition to the truth of God's word. Second influence that's going to lie to you every day is you. Did you know that we lie to ourselves more than anything? The, the thoughts that we believe or the thoughts that go through our head, whether right or wrong, we have a natural inclination to believe that they are true, even if they aren't. The third influence that's going to lie to you and I every day is Satan. Jesus says he is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. And the belt of truth is essential because once a lie takes root in the life of a believer, that person's life begins to fall apart. We see that in King David. Maybe you know the story. Right? He, he, he entered into sin with a, a lady named Bathsheba. And for over a year, David tried to suppress and cover up this lie. And he began to make up, tell other lies to cover the first lie. And next thing you know, he's got lie after lie after lie to cover up the first lie. And even though he went to church, right, even though he went to temple, read the scriptures, David confesses at the end of that year, he says, my life was still miserable. Why? Because a lie had taken root and had to begun to erode the truth. Integrity compromised, character compromised, values compromised. The belt of truth is essential. Truth always begins with God's word. Jesus says, you know it well, John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So so where does truth come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from his word. There's a process called, uh, called immersion cleansing. And immersion cleansing is when you put a dirty object, it could, be a, it, it could be a material object as well as something living, such as a person, immerse them in a cleaning solution. And what that cleaning solution does is over time, it breaks down the gunk, the particles, the parasites that have attached themselves to that object. And, and when the the process is complete, that object or person, or for that matter, is removed from the cleaning solution and they are cleansed and the dirt and the gunk and the grime that was affecting their health remains in a tub. You and I 
are to immerse ourselves in the truth of God's Word. Because when we do that, when we put on truth, when we immerse ourselves in truth, the things of the enemy, the things of the world, and the lies that we tell ourselves are going to be exposed for what they are in order that they may be dealt with in the truth of God's Word. We'll be cleansed. The belt of truth is essential piece of equipment to living victoriously. Next, he lists the breastplate of righteousness, and this simply symbolizes a person's right standing with God. Ephesians chapter 4, we read this a few weeks ago, beginning in verse 22, writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. See, we lie to ourselves. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. The breastplate of righteousness has a dual meaning. First, it it denotes our justification, us being right with God. Right? The Bible says that, speaking of Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that, in order that, you and I might be the righteousness, might be right with God. What sin broke, a relationship with God, Jesus came to restore. So when a person places their faith in the finished work of Jesus, that person's sins are forgiven by Jesus, and the result of that is that person's relationship with God is restored. They're now right in God's sight. It's nothing we have to to earn. It's nothing we have to work for. The Bible tells us it is by grace that we are saved through faith. Second, so first it denotes our, our right standing with God, our justification. Second, it denotes our uh, moral standing with one another. How we treat one another. How we interact with one another. Our horizontal health the health with the relationships around us are a direct reflection of our vertical health, our spiritual health with God. As you and I increase in spiritual health, our walk with Jesus, our understanding of Jesus, our, 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 our cleansing, our sanctification of sins, our growing to become more like Jesus, as this improves so do these relationships around us. As we learn to follow Jesus together, the breastplate of righteousness. Third, he lists uh, the gospel, we're going to call them gospel shoes. All right, he says they're the gospel of peace. And he says that we're to put on, right, these gospel shoes, we're to lace them up, we're to have them firmly secured to our feet every day because where we go, we take the what? We take the gospel with us. But he says that the gospel has a power behind it. Paul writes that it is the power of God, and this power that the gospel has, Paul directly connects it to what? To peace. That apart from the gospel rooting in your life and in mine, we cannot experience peace. Peace comes by way of the gospel. Peace by being right with God, 
understanding that no matter what happens to us in this life, no matter what prison we might find ourselves in, we have peace because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, the gospel has to do with everything. The gospel has everything to do about our salvation as much as it has to do with our marriages, with our parenting, with our work ethic, how we spend our money, you name it. Everything in life has to do with the gospel. Because when a person receives the gospel, receives the good news, turns away from their sins, turns towards Jesus, receives that forgiveness, the Bible tells us that they are now a new creation. They are a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. And in that new life, it is a life now lived through the lens of the gospel. The gospel shapes everything we do and how we do it. Now, there are these these mechanisms on large ships, and they're called stabilizers. Uh, If you've ever been on a cruise ship, man, you've probably felt some rocking here and there. But these stabilizers, the captain can deploy these stabilizers. They're these small, like, wing-shaped mechanisms underneath the hull below the surface of the water. And when they are deployed, they bring stability to a large ship in rough seas. When you and I deploy the gospel to every situation and circumstance in life, we are going to experience the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It's how Paul can write with such a calmness from a prison chained to a Roman soldier. Because he had the peace of God brought about by the gospel in his life. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Next, he lists the shield of faith. The shield, Paul says, that is how you and I extinguish what Satan sends. He says, when the day of evil comes, when those arrows from Satan find their target, he says, the way that they are extinguished is by what? By faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is simply believing God. Wholly and completely believing God is true. And what he says is true, what he has done is finished. Now, when Rome would go to battle, every soldier was provided a shield, and and these shields would be about two feet by four feet, roughly. And they were thick, and they were covered. Um, Some had had metal covering, some had leather covering, but they were all covered with a sort of flame retardant because the primary weapon of Rome's enemy of the day was a flaming arrow. So when Rome's enemies launched their barrage of arrows, Rome the soldiers who were not just here and there scattered about, rather they were disciplined, forming uh, rank and file, would interlock their shields one to the other on top of one another. It wasn't just an isolated target. It was a barrage. It was a wall impenetrable when the shields of faith, when the shields were locked together. And when the arrow would hit the shield, yeah, it may stick. It may deflect, but they would be extinguished. Faith in Jesus during the battle 
extinguishes Satan's power. It is by upholding the shield. of Now, what happens? See, here, here's where many of us, myself included, have gotten into trouble. We take up the shield of faith after the arrow has found its mark. That's why it's so important. Because you and I don't know when, when we're going to end up in Satan's crosshairs, some of us right now in this room might have an arrow in route to us. That's the reality of the battle we're in. We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Every day, take up the shield of faith. Next, Paul lists the helmet of salvation. This is the assurance that when this life ends, we're, we're going to step forever into eternity with Jesus. Now, it's the helmet, and the helmet covers the head. And what's the most important part of the head? It's the brain, the mind. You've probably heard it said, the battle is where? The battle is in the mind. Now, there are two primary things that Satan is going to try and do in your mind. First, he's going to try spiritually to get us to the point where we're believing the lie that what Jesus did, his sacrifice he made on the cross, is insufficient. He's going to get us to doubt our salvation. He's going to try to get us to add to what Jesus said is already done, complete, and perfect. But God, he brings us back to his word. And maybe some of you here today are doubting your salvation. Maybe you've, you've, you've prayed that prayer, right? You've given your life to Jesus, but yet you're still wondering, man, I, I don't know. I don't feel saved. Remember, does truth rest in our feelings? No, truth rests in what God says. So what does God say about the assurance of our salvation? I want to share with you just three things. One, God's word. 1 John 5, 13. God's word gives us an assurance of our salvation. Second, Romans 8, 16, the presence and the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine is an assurance of salvation. Last but not least, love for believers. 1 John 3, 14, John writes, the way you and I treat one another is a reflection of how we stand with God. These are three of many evidences or proofs of salvation for the life of a believer. So when Satan fires that arrow, put on the helmet of salvation, bring Satan back, bring your thoughts back to the truth of God's word. Speaking of thoughts, Satan will try and discourage us. Now, I'm sure everyone in here has a story that they can tell about their experience with, a, with TSA at an airport. I... I I, I, I am confident that TSA is not there to make travel harder, rather there to make travel safer. Though in the moment, we can be rather frustrated, can't we? You see, but TSA is there because everyone on this side, we don't know who's over here. But everyone on this side of the checkpoint, they have been vetted, right? You know that thing that you have to stand in, you make you stand like this and it goes around you? And you're like, what is happening? Like, beat me up, Scotty. Right? Well, everyone has gone through that on this side, and they have been vetted, deemed, believed to be a safe traveler, which gives you and I then confidence that those who are with us in the journey are not a threat. Your mind and my mind is a TSA checkpoint for the thoughts. You and I... I I confess, there, I get thoughts up here. I'm like, I have no idea where that came from. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had some thoughts. You're like, I, I, I don't even know. 
What? That's not, not mine. But yet it's there. You see, our minds are that TSA checkpoint. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians when it comes to our mind. It's up on the screen for us here. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what kind of power? Divine power. And, and, and the power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and do what with it? We make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We make it obedient to what Jesus says is true, not what we feel is true. We make it obedient to what... Now, how does that filter, how does that checkpoint work? Well, Philippians 4, 8, many of you know the verse, tells us how. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, what are we to do with those things? Think about them. These are the things that we are to allow through the checkpoint. Anything that does not fit true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, they don't go through the checkpoint. They are a threat to the life of a believer. Because once that gets in the life of a believer, that lie, that life will begin to fall apart. The battle is where? In the mind. Paul says, put this into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Next, he lists the sword of the Spirit. And he expounds on the sword of the Spirit. He says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of truth. And I am reminded of truth in the only thing that is absolutely true, God's Word. I want to share with you just a few things that God's Word does in your life and in mine. Up on the screen, this is, not, this is by no means an exhaustive list of the Word of God. But God's Word, it's a lamp and a light to your feet. It is your treasure and your sustenance. It is your foundation. It is true. It is where wisdom begins, and it is eternal. If there is anything that you can count on lasting forever, it is right here, the Word of God. So the level of our experience of victory is directly connected to our application of putting on what God provides. See, but... This armor of God, this divine equipment, this is so much more than just a metaphor for Roman armor made to the spiritual. This is a descriptive. Look at what Romans says. Romans says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to desire of the flesh. What is, what is Paul ultimately getting at here? As he's listing this divine equipment, we parallel that with the person of Jesus Christ. So while we are to spiritually put on this equipment and take up the word of God and put on the belt of truth, ultimately, what are we doing? We're putting on Jesus. And we're saying, Lord, today, I don't know what's coming my way. I don't know what's facing. But Lord, you do know. Help me to be more like you today. Help me to have your heart. Help me to have your eyes, your attitude. Help me to have your tongue, your words, your compassion, Lord, I want to be more like you today. Ultimately, 
We're putting on Jesus Christ. That is the first provision that God gives us in the battle. Look with me for the second, verse 18. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. God's second provision. God provides prayer as a means to empower us to put on the divine equipment. And maybe you're thinking, how, how do I put on Jesus? How do I put on this divine equipment? We put it on through prayer. Yet Martin Luther said it like this. He said, as, um, man, forgive me, I might butcher this. Martin Luther said something like, how's that? As air is to a living creature, so prayer is to the Christian. As air is to the living creature, so prayer is to the Christian. Prayer is essential. Prayer is not an afterthought, it's the first thought. It's what we do, not just every day, but it's what we do to be victorious in the battle. We pray. We've got prayer tomorrow night. I want to invite you all out to that. 6.30 in the chapel. Let's pray. Because the day of evil will come, we want to be ready to stand our ground. Now, in this, Paul makes kind of three descriptions of prayer. He says, we're going to pray like this. First, we're going to pray in the Spirit. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we find ourselves in a circumstance. We find ourselves in a prison Right, a prison is simply a circumstance beyond our control. We find ourselves in that prison, and we say, Lord, I don't even know. So, Holy Spirit, would you help me to pray? You know what? He'll help you. Second, he says, we're going to pray on all occasions. There is nothing too little or too big for our God. The Bible tells us that our God is a God of the details. He delights in the details of your life. Pray on all occasions. Last, he says, keep on praying. Church, don't stop. If God hasn't answered, we're not done praying. Now, God's going to how does God answer our prayers? Yes, no, wait, I've got something better. Don't stop praying until God answers your prayer. So Paul, if you remember, five years prior to him writing Ephesians, he had this dream of preaching the gospel in Rome. I have not had the opportunity to interview Paul, but I'm going to assume that his vision was not doing it from a prison. So what does he say? He says, pray for me. Pray for me that I would preach the gospel. Pray that I wouldn't get discouraged. Pray that I wouldn't give up. Pray that I would keep on pressing into the will of God, trusting Jesus more and more. Prayer. Paul needed it. We need it. You need it. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just say this. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. We need one another. Because life's a battlefield. 
he goes on in verse 21 through 24. He says this. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may also encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an unending love. God's third provision. God provides faithful friends to encourage us on the battlefield of life. Hey, was Paul alone? He wasn't alone. Who was with him? Tychicus. You know what's interesting? I'm going to say this one more time because I'm fascinated by it. Five years prior, Paul had this desire to preach the gospel in Rome. He didn't know what the next five years were going to be like. Did God know? God absolutely knew. See, Paul didn't know that he would get beaten. He didn't know he would get stoned and left for dead. He didn't know that he would visit 12 different, no less than 12 different cities throughout Asia Minor. He didn't know that he would get shipwrecked twice. He didn't know that he would get bitten by a snake. But God knew. God knew something else too. He knew Paul was human and that Paul needed encouragement. Acts chapter 20 and chapter 21 give us an insight that throughout Paul's journey to get to Rome, there were no less than seven traveling companions with him at different parts of that journey. And there was one who was with him from the very beginning. His name is Tychicus. Tychicus means faithful. We're not alone. You're not alone. Look around this room. We're in the, on the battlefield of life. How? Together. We need one another. God has provided His church a body, a community of believers locally, globally, to do life together. So one last time, turn to the person next to you. I need your encouragement. I need your encouragement. Life can be discouraging. Satan's arrows are always arrows of discouragement. Together, like the Roman army, we interlock our shields of faith. We encourage one another. We march to victory together. The Lord is our commanding officer. The battle is already won. It's already decided. But the arrows of the enemy are still flying. God provides faithful friends to encourage us. Today we learned three divine provisions for the battle of life. They are simply this. 
God provides divine equipment to help us stand in victory. God provides prayer as the means to empower us to put on his divine equipment. And last but not least, God provides faithful friends to encourage us on the battlefield of life. The band is going to come out, and as they do, I want to share this with you. As you and I, God has provided us one another to be friends in the battlefield of life, but there's another friend. Many of you know him. Perhaps some of you don't. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, greater love has none than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Looking to his disciples, Jesus said, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you've only known about Jesus, but you've never known him as your closest friend. Maybe you've never known him as the savior of your soul. I want to give you that opportunity right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning saying, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to reject the lies of the enemy and lay hold of the truth. Would you just raise your hand saying, today I'm giving my life to Jesus. Amen, I see you. Online, there's a number for you. Amen. Amen. Yes. Anybody else? Just raise your hand saying, today I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. Yes. Praise God. With every head bowed, if you've raised your hands, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just pray it to the Lord. Lord, thank you for choosing me. I am sorry that I have sinned against you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for going to the cross, paying the price of my sins. Thank you that your love pursues me all the days of my life. Jesus, I open my heart and I invite you in to be the Savior and Lord of my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to trust you till I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give a hand for those who gave their life to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Second, as we open, Paul said, when the day of evil comes. The day when Satan puts his sights on you. That's some of you in this room. If you are in the battle, if the enemy has put his sights on you and you know it full well, you're not alone. We're in this together. If that's you, would you stand? Just saying, I need prayer. I need a special prayer. 
Anybody else? Amen. Church, if there's someone around you who's standing, would you just extend your hand towards them? Lord, we just pray now. Lord, for those who are experiencing the day of evil, we, your church, gather around our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them, to strengthen them, to point them increasingly towards you. And we pray, Lord, that your purposes will prevail. Help them to put on all of the divine equipment, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, those gospel shoes, upholding the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the helmet of salvation. Lord, have your way. Encourage those in the battle. The victory is already won. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. Church, would you all stand? Would you all stand? Grab your communion elements. We're going to partake in communion together here. If you want to open up the the bread part. Communion is for believers. If you're not yet a believer, we're just going to ask that this moment would simply pass you by. But Christian, the Bible tells us in the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took the, the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. So Lord, as we pause now to take this bread, we pray, God, that you would search our hearts, that if there would be any iniquity within us, that you would do a rapid immersion cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ. We just lay it before you, Lord. And we recognize today that it is you, the bread of life, who gives us strength, who gives us sustenance, who gives us hope. So we take this now in thanks and in remembrance of you. Let's take the bread together. The Bible says in the same way, after the taking of the bread, he took the cup. And after giving thanks... He said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, burial, resurrection, and affirm he's coming back again. So, Lord, we thank you for your willing sacrifice of going to the cross, shedding your blood for our sins so that we may be made right in the sight of God the Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. So, Lord, we now, we take this in remembrance 
of what you have done and in the hope of you who are to come again. Let's take together, church. Amen. Guys, we love you. Want to invite you to, as you leave, to go to the center ring, learn more about our church, get connected to a group. Second, track with me for 30 more seconds. At this time, we are dismissed. However, our worship band is going to just lead us in a few songs of worship. You are free to go or you can stay. If you're in a battle or if you raised your hand for a salvation, while we're singing, come on up front. We've got a prayer team. We want to pray with you and encourage you through the battles of life. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you this week. Our hands together and sing. So I throw up.